Welcome to the Fallon Forum, where we bring you progressive voices from America's heartland. This is Ed Fallon, your host, and we're coming to you from Des Moines, Iowa. Before I give you the rundown on today's lineup, let's take a minute to thank some of the local business partners who make this program possible. Uh, thanks to Gateway Marketing Cafe. It's my grocery store, and it's open seven days a week. The cafe is also open every day for lunch and supper, with breakfast available on the weekends. There's limited dine-in and patio seating, and you can also order using Gateway's takeout service. Hey, and here's a thought. What about giving Gateway gift cards for the holidays? For every $50 gift card you buy, you get an additional $10 credit for yourself. Check it out, folks, at gatewaymarket.com. Thanks also to Architecture by Synthesis, offering planning, design, and design-build services for high-performance, low-maintenance buildings and homes. Architecture by Synthesis specializes in environmentally friendly designs, including highly insulated structures made from grain bins. That's Architecture by Synthesis. All right, later in the program, we're going to talk about the um, <laughs> congressional uh, decision not to allow the Air Force to blow up another 300,000 acres of desert in Nevada. We'll also talk about democracy and um, under attack right now in Michigan, apparently. Uh, we'll also talk about the limits of presidential power. Jeffrey Weiss will join us for that. And we'll also talk about how the Republican Party in the U.S. is unique in the world. And then we'll talk about what it's like to eat local in the Yukon with Kathy Burns of Birds and Bees Urban Farms. But I want to first welcome to the program uh, Steve Kitchen of STC Dive Center in Des Moines. I got the uh, disturbing news in my inbox this morning about Australia's Great Barrier Reef. Apparently... Um, a new uh, piece of research out by, okay, let me see if I can say this, International Union for Conservation of Nature's 2020 World Heritage Outlook. I did it in one breath. Apparently, their new report out this week shows a very disturbing picture for Australia's Great Barrier Reef. The um, status has declined from significant concern to critical, and that's due to the increasing impacts associated with climate change. Uh, with us to get some perspective on that from a man who dives for a living, uh, Steve Kitchen. Hello, welcome to the program. Thank you very much. Glad to be here. Yeah. So, um, just a, a bit of background. Uh, you own a dive. I mean, to folks listening to the show outside of Iowa, they might wonder a dive center in Des Moines, Iowa. What's that about? Well, it's one of those things that uh, most Iowans love to travel, and when they go places, they get to sample or see scuba diving. So. What's better than to learn how to do it here before you go on your trip so you can spend your entire trip time, say, underwater? <laughs> better to be un underwater on your vacation than when you get home on your bank account. Yeah, yeah. there you go. Yep. So, and, of course, uh, you know, I, I do know people, including my son, who uh, were so taken by the uh, attractions of diving that they ended up in a profession in related to that that involved uh, going to a coastal community. So... Yeah, but, you know, there is some diving in Iowa, too. People may not realize that. There is, uh, are some opportunities. Oh, yeah, there's yeah, there's quarries and some lakes that are worth uh, diving. One that has come back is uh, Okaboji. Um, that's cleared up a bit, and um, I know this past summer there were uh, groups of divers that went up there to dive. Yeah, but, of course, when you really think about uh, but the, the big diving attractions, you think about places like the Florida Keys and, uh, and the Gulf. And, I mean, and the top of the list, of course, if you can get there, is Australia's Great Barrier Reef. And, the um, boy, the report is not good. I mean, to go from of significant concern to classified as critical is a serious 
step in the wrong direction. That's for sure. Yeah. So, I mean, and it's not, you know, I guess, what does that mean to those of us who might not be familiar with the biology of a coral reef? Uh, I mean, it, it, it sounds like it's, uh, if this direction continues, that, 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 that reef and maybe other coral reefs in the world would be completely dead. Yeah, that is true, and we're seeing that in, in other places. It may not be as bad as the Great Barrier Reef, but it is a, it is a concern because um, it's a home for fish, and obviously we do eat fish. It's also protection for people living by the shoreline because it cuts down some of that surge and, and damage from storms. So as that deteriorates and leaves, that opens that area up for, for more severe um, uh, storms and uh, and and damage, and I know Mexico's uh, Gulf of California has also seen some uh, some erosion of uh, of the quality of the reef there, and and uh, I think I think that's a reef, isn't it? Am I am I am I, am I conflating uh, ecosystems? But I know that there's uh, also concern about the Florida Keys, which is of course um, in terms of the U.S. That's probably where people are inclined to to go more often than not. Yeah, very oh yeah, very much so. I've been uh, to keep the Key Largo diving um several times and um there it's probably not not as bad as other places, but you can see the effects of say um um uh, the not just the weather, but the, the the warming of the water as well as unfortunately man not taking care of of the environment. What other problems do you see that might not be associated with climate change? Are we talking about uh, trash, pollution, that sort of thing? Yeah, you have trash, you have, um, which is more of an issue now since we're aware of it. Sunscreen even can uh, kill the coral because unlike oh. popular belief, the coral reef is not rock. It is living organisms and stuff, so... They can't handle some of the stuff in some of the sunscreen, so when people swim, get in the water, starts killing the coral. Interesting. And is something being done to minimize that impact? That's something that's that's much more easily controlled than climate change. Oh, yeah. They have sunscreen now without the harmful chemicals in it that still work. Some places won't allow you to bring in sunscreen that isn't, as they call it, reef safe. So they are making an effort to try to limit that but obviously if you're on a beach you know you can use whatever you want to it does eventually float out it doesn't stay right on the beach sure have there been any efforts in either state legislatures maybe florida in particular any efforts to try to um uh make those kinds of uh, sunscreens illegal because of the damage they're doing um not that i know of in this country but i know in some countries they're kind of trying to monitor that more um uh, to to limit damaging their their major industry in some cases like in the keys even you would think that they would be uh, working on something and they may be now but i know originally they weren't but there are places that are definitely working on trying to eliminate at least that source of contamination right uh, so uh, back to the great barrier reef what why is uh, australia's reef uh, so much more compromised than some of the other reefs in the world? Um, one, it's, I'm quite sure it's very heavily um, dove and with the cruise ships and stuff being around it, it's just more susceptible, susceptible to damage um, just because of us being around 
more where some places it's not as bad because there's not as many tourists mm. there or boats there. So it's not just climate change. It's also just the sheer impact of human activity. But regarding, I mean, regarding climate change, my understanding is that a big part of the problem is the, uh, the warming of the water. The, the, the coral uh, can't handle that level of warmth. That, that is correct. There are places where the, it has significantly, the, the, the temperature of the water significantly has uh, raised. And like any living thing, including us, if the temperature gets warm enough, we don't do well in it. Well, coral does, doesn't do well in it. Mm-hmm. Even though it's in the water, if the water's hot, that's a, an issue. To a layman like me, I'm looking at the uh, trajectory going from uh, significant concern to critical. Uh, I mean, if I'm looking at a patient in a hospital, the next level, the direction they're heading is not very encouraging. I mean, is that, is that what we should expect with the Great Barrier Reef if nothing is done to, to curtail the continued rise in the temperature of the oceans? Oh, most definitely. Um, I don't know what temperatures, since I'm not an expert on uh, how how hot coral can uh, live. But like any like any living thing, if the temperature hits a high enough temperature, it will die. And excuse me. And um, obviously, we go there for the for the, for the sea life and the colors. Well, once the coral dies, it loses its color and other things need that coral to live so eventually you have nothing there yeah that's a big part of the problem is that uh, that is a, a rich a living community for fish uh, fish that we eat and fish that are maybe eaten by those that we eat and one way or the other are instrumental in the in the health of the uh, aquatic life in that area oh yeah most most definitely um, you take Florida for instance a lot of the Fish we eat even up here in Iowa comes from down there. If that dies out, where's our fish coming from? Right. And again, uh, like you said, the uh, the the coral reefs along the uh, Keys and other parts of Florida aren't um, aren't in jeopardy yet to that extent. I mean, they, they have been compromised, correct? Oh yes. In fact, um, you're saying if there's any, any any legislation, a good example is off of Key Largo, that reef there. You are not allowed to drop an anchor onto that reef. You have to attach to the moorings that are there. That is a, a law. Okay. Yeah. And, and again, we have seen warming um, in Florida as well. So perhaps we should be concerned about, about how that might impact the long-term health as well as other factors like anchors, like sunscreen, like overall mm-hmm. human activity. So. Oh, yeah. We have to do, to, to do something about warming. Even if we, say, solved all the other man-made problems, you still have to solve the warming. It, it just may not happen as fast, but it's still going to happen as yeah. the, the water temperatures uh, warm up. It's still going to eventually kill off your coral, which then leads to other things dying off. Yeah. Well, Steve, I really appreciate you taking the time to join us. You're with uh, STT, STC Dive Center in Des Moines. And I'm just curious, though, what, again, just for people who may not be familiar with diving in Des Moines, what, what, kind, of, um, what kind of services do you offer? Uh, we're a full-service dive shop. We do instruction, we do uh, repair, we sell equipment, all, anything associated with, um, with uh, diving, recreational diving. We do, I do have a couple of people that are in, into a little bit of technical, but basically we're a recreational diving facility and a full, a full facility. So if you 
want to want to learn or get additional equipment or need something repaired, hmm. we're here for you. Okay. Well, great. Great to uh, make your acquaintance on the phone, and uh, great to have you uh, weigh in on this um, matter of great uh, international concern, the Australian Great Barrier Reef uh, upgraded to critical in a recent report uh, coming out of a, a prestigious organization that monitors these things closely. Uh, hey, folks, we will be back in just a minute. Uh, we're going to be talking about uh, a congressional act to protect the desert from the Air Force and also talking about what's going on in Michigan with uh, protesters outside the home of the Michigan Secretary of State late at night with bullhorns. Back in a minute on the Fallon Forum. Gateway Marketing Cafe is your locally owned grocery and specialty food store. Enjoy chef-crafted prepared foods, artisan baked goods, organic produce, hand-cut meats, local and international cheeses, wines, and craft beer. Catering and floral services are also available. The cafe is open for carryout and delivery daily. Gateway Market is centrally located at ML King Parkway and Woodland Ave. Stop by or visit gatewaymarket.com for more details. Gateway Market, good food, great community. It's important to know where your food comes from. At Hawk Restaurant, that's easy because 90% comes from Iowa farms and Iowa producers. At East 5th and Walnut Street, Hawk is open Monday through Saturday for dine-in, patio seating, curbside pickup, and carry-out. Hawk also serves fantastic breakfast wraps with 100% of the ingredients from Iowa, except for the salt and pepper. Learn more at hawktable.com. That's H-O-Q table.com. Welcome back to the Fallon Forum, where we bring you progressive voices from America's heartland. This is Ed Fallon, your host, and we're coming to you from Des Moines, Iowa. Support for this program comes from Hawk Restaurant in Des Moines East Village. At Hawk, 90% of the food served comes from Iowa farms and Iowa producers. Hawk is open Monday through Saturday for dine-in, curbside pickup, and carry-out. You can learn more at Hawk, that's H-O-Q, HawkTable.com. Thanks also to Bold Iowa, founded in 2015 to build urban and rural coalitions to address climate change, to prevent the abuse of eminent domain, and to protect Iowa's soil, air, and water. Bold Iowa is committed to using peaceful, nonviolent means to push for change, and you can learn more at boldiowa.com. Okay, so in a story this week from Iowa Capital Dispatch, uh, uh, this, this headline caught my, my attention. Congress rejects expansion of Nevada test and training range into wildlife refuge. Apparently, you know, it doesn't happen often where Congress cooperates in a bipartisan way on something big. So there was a bipartisan deal reached by Congress on an annual defense policy bill that has a whole bunch of stuff in it, of course. And the bill keeps protections in place for Nevada's Desert National Wildlife Refuge. And that's uh, apparently the, the largest uh, wildlife refuge in the contiguous 48 states. Of course, Anwar in, in Alaska is bigger. But that, uh, the Nevada Desert National Wildlife Refuge is the biggest un, you know, unobstructed wildlife area in the U.S., in the continental U.S. And what was protected? Well, what was it protected from? Uh, from the U.S. Air Force. Uh, <laughs> they already have a, a, a range that's... Um, 
a bombing range that's almost, uh, I think, 3 million acres. I'll check on that. But I think it's 3 million acres. Uh, oh, no, 3 million. What am I saying? 3 million. Yeah, 3 million acres. There we go. Just under 2.9 million acres. And um, they wanted to add another 300,000 to that by bombing the uh, wildlife area. And, uh, <laughs> you know, and, and, of course, conservationists and a lot of people in Nevada, very upset about this, and um, fought it and were able to get a bipartisan agreement not to allow it. And now, this must be upsetting for our friends at the Air Force. Um, I'm going to cry a river there. Uh, because for years they have um, indicated, for years, they've been working for years to try to get this uh, expansion um, they, they, they want to be bigger than just 3 million acres of what they can blow up. Uh, so, uh, you know, and, and contiguous to them, of course, is this wildlife area. They want to go into that. They're also, by the way, contiguous to the Nevada nuclear testing site, which um, I visited years ago when they were still testing there. Um, so, you know, and I, I don't, I'm not even sure what the status of the nuclear test site is right now. I just imagine it's not a real safe place to be given the probable concentrations of uh, radioactive material. So um, this wildlife refuge is home to a, the state mammal of Nevada. I don't know if we have a state mammal in Iowa. It's not the pig. Uh, I know we have a state bird and a state flower. And I know there are lots of people who have been pushing for state, uh, state poems and state tunes. I don't know if we have a state mammal. But anyway, in Nevada they do, and it's the bighorn sheep. And you can't get a more awesome state mammal than that. And that's where a lot of these creatures, creatures live. Uh, I have seen bighorn sheep in the wild once, and it is truly an amazing experience to feel that, uh, that power of such a, an animal that can pretty much walk on a sliver of rock. I mean, I, I would never try to do what they do. Anyway, the Air Force wanted this land to bomb. Um, <laughs> And uh, enough people got together to oppose it and uh, defeat it. I, I mean, I, I'm just surprised. I really am surprised. Anytime something good like that happens, I'm a little surprised, uh, especially since President Donald Trump, anybody want to guess where he came down on this? Yeah, he wanted to bomb. He wanted to allow the expansion and has even threatened to veto over parts of the bill. I'm not quite sure what he wants to veto in the bill. I can't remember that. But... Um, so anyway, if uh, we'll see where that goes. Uh, but right now, the um, the status is is protected. And by the way, that that wildlife refuge, again, the largest one in the U.S. in continental forty eight states, that was put into effect by FDR. So it's been around a long time. And you know, to a lot of folks from uh, green country like Iowa, they might regard something like that, some place like that, as just kind of a wasteland, a desert. But you know what? I've I've walked through the desert, the Mojave, the Sonoran. And it's really beautiful, and it's really special, and it should not be bombed. <laughs> anyway, so hats off to Congress. You don't hear me say that too often. Hats off to Congress for protecting the uh, wildlife area in Nevada. Um, all right, so, you know, again, blowing up the desert, that's a problem. Uh, blowing up democracy, that's another problem. And uh, it just seems like President Trump is intent on trying to continue to do that as he's... Um, finding his way out the White House door, however unwillingly. So, um, yeah, in Michigan on Saturday night, a uh, crowd of armed protesters, I'm not quite clear how many, dozens at least, but uh, angry protesters, maybe some of the same folks who supported the uh, group that tried to 
kidnap Governor Whitmer. But these folks showed up at the uh, Secretary of State's home. Uh, Jocelyn Benson, she's a Democrat, I believe. It really doesn't matter anymore. Uh, we have Democrats and Republicans speaking out against the efforts to um, discredit the election. So they showed up at her home. And who's, yeah, who's, who's, uh, who else is at, at the Secretary of State's home? Well, her four-year-old son. And they're out front at night with megaphones. Um, you know, some of what they're saying is profanity. You know, you always love to have your four-year-old exposed to that. Uh, you know, they're accusing her of stealing the election. Yeah, it, it just, yeah, and it just, it's just astounding to me that anybody thinks that's a good idea. And just, um, just so you know that my criticism of this tactic does not only apply to Republicans, I will say I've never been impressed that we have a group in Iowa that likes to do this sort of thing, likes to go to people's homes, and they tend to be going to people. I mean, I tend to agree with them on the policies they're concerned about. They went to the home of one, one guy who um, has a bunch of money in hog confinements. I don't like what hog confinements are doing to rural Iowa. But I don't think you should show up at the guy's house and make a scene there. That's not the appropriate location. There are some things that are sacred, that are off limits. And I, I know reasonable minds might disagree. Uh, but that said... None of what happened to that protest and related protests here in Iowa is anything like what we saw in Michigan this weekend. I mean, guns. Well, okay, the bullhorns are probably the same. <laughs> we probably saw those being used in Iowa as well. But, I mean, brandishing your arms, uh, you know, in the middle of the night, not the middle of the night, I guess, but it was, well, night starts at 5 anymore. So <laughs> I think they were there until 10 o'clock. You know, it just, it's just, uh, it's it just, it, it's amazing to me that this happens. And what's even more amazing is that President Trump is encouraging it. Now, I don't think he's weighed in, as, as of when we go to press with this show, I don't think he's weighed in on what happened in Michigan this weekend. But he has, again, continued to promote the idea that, um, that, uh, that the election was stolen, that um, we need to fight back, you know, um, and so much so that that leading Republicans are opposing him. You know, Gabriel Sterling, he's a conservative Republican, not just a Republican, a conservative Republican. And he's involved with Georgia's elections operation. And um, many people have already seen his speech. Uh, it is described as impassioned, as pleading. And he is addressing it to President Trump and GOP leaders, asking them to stop attacking our elections. To quote him, to quote uh, Sterling, it has all gone too far, all of it. And he, he specifically mentions Trump, asking Trump to step up and saying, stop inspiring people to commit potential acts of violence. Someone is going to get hurt. Someone is going to get shot. Someone is going to get killed. And it's not right. Yeah, not only is it not right, it's not necessary. I mean, again, there is something called the bully pulpit, and there is no bigger bully pulpit in the U.S., possibly in the world, than that of the President of the United States. And when you are using that bully pulpit to basically be a bully, I guess that kind of gives new meaning to the term bully pulpit, when you're using it to that purpose, you know, you're, you're responsible. What, what happens, what other people are inspired to do because they heard you say it and they thought it was okay, 
or maybe even they thought it was their duty to challenge. Again, the I'm all for fair elections. And here, here's the biggest uh, question in my mind. If this election was rigged, why did it only rig against Trump? You, you would think if the Democrats were going to rig it, they would have won the Senate. They would have gained seats in the House. They would have gained at least one or two legislative districts around the country instead of losing everything except the presidency. You know, if that's rigging, then they need to go back and figure out a better way to do it. <laughs> so, so it's just, it's, it's really kind of absurd. And, and we're to the point now where, uh, I mean, there aren't, there, okay, there aren't a lot of congressional, there aren't a lot of members of Congress of both parties with what I would call a real solid political spine. And that's true in the Republican caucus of the House, too, where only 27 House members among Republicans have said, yes, the election's over, Biden won. Most of them still aren't saying that. Even though all across the country you have Republican election officials like Sterling, like the governor of Georgia, like the secretary of state of Georgia, who are saying, hey, the election was fair, it's over, Biden won. So it is, again, astounding to me that this continues. And, you know, I have no doubt that these folks who assembled out, outside, out, out in front of um, the Secretary of State's house in Michigan, I have no doubt that they are, in part, inspired by Trump's continued goading on to do this sort of thing. It needs to stop, like Gabriel Sterling, the Republican from Georgia, said. Okay, when we come back from a short break, uh, Jeffrey Weiss is going to join us, and we're going to talk about the limits of presidential power, or are there any limits? Back in a minute on the Fallon Forum. Gateway Marketing Cafe is your locally owned grocery and specialty food store. Enjoy chef-crafted prepared foods, artisan baked goods, organic produce, hand-cut meats, local and international cheeses, wines, and craft beer. Catering and floral services are also available. The cafe is open for carryout and delivery daily. Gateway Market is centrally located at ML King Parkway and Woodland Ave. Stop by or visit gatewaymarket.com for more details. Gateway Market, good food, great community. Noche is the premier home in Des Moines for jazz and cabaret. With its prime downtown location, Noche attracts both national acts and local favorites, including Max Wellman, Gina Gedler, and Tina Haas Findlay. Every Wednesday night, you can enjoy the progressive sounds of one of America's longest-running jazz orchestras, the Des Moines Big Band. Noche also offers a world-class cocktail bar and serves a variety of small plates. Noche on Walnut Street, south of the Sculpture Park in downtown Des Moines. Welcome back to the Fallon Forum, where we bring you progressive voices from America's heartland. This is Ed Fallon, your host, and we're coming to you from Des Moines, Iowa. I would like to thank our sponsors, including Story County Veterinary Clinic, where Dr. Kim Holding has been treating all creatures great and small for over 30 years. You can learn more at Story County Veterinary Clinic's Facebook page, or just give Dr. Holding a call at 515-232-8766. That's 515-232-8766. Support for this program also provided by Birds and Bees Urban Farm, offering classes on how to turn your yard into dinner. Local food security is becoming more and more important to both urban and rural residents, and you can get information 
at birdsbeesurbanfarm.org. That's birdsbeesurbanfarm.org. All right, hey, let's welcome Jeffrey Weiss to the program. Jeffrey is the former Peace Education Director at the American Friends Service Committee. He's currently a teacher in the social sciences and one of the most well-read people I know on international affairs. Jeffrey, welcome to the program. Yeah, thanks, Ed. Hey, so, um, you know, with Donald Trump, uh, he... He's showing his activist side as he's on the way out the door, um, doing all sorts of things. I mean, on regulations, on, 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 um, who knows, I can't even think of what else, but on decorating the White House with Christmas trees, but also <clears throat> about preemptive pardons for his family and friends. I mean, can he do that? What are the limits of presidential power broadly, but first when it comes to pardoning people who haven't even been accused of a crime? Yeah, the, the simple answer to that question is we don't know, uh, <laughs> meaning that previous presidents used the pardon, um, you know, did not use the pardon very often, um, and there were histories of what are called more political pardons. Uh, but just like everything else with the, the Trump presidency, um, he has essentially governed for four years to do what he wants uh, and sort of let people try to stop him uh, in regards to law. You know, so really his use of the presidential pardon uh, isn't any different than his use of the White House for political campaigning. Uh, it isn't any different than the use of the inaugural committee um, to uh, raise money and throw out a $300,000 party for his family, which, of course, Ivanka Trump was deposed a couple of days ago. The Washington, D.C. Attorney General uh, interviewed her, a civil lawsuit in that matter. But, you know, Jonathan Mailer had an excellent article in the front page of the New York Times magazine a couple weeks ago, and, and he said that, uh, you know, essentially that Trump's exploitation of presidential power was a difference really in both degree and kind. And you know, just the overall question of where this country is going in, in regards to Article 2. I mean, the founders of this country felt like an elected monarchy is still a, a monarchy. And if you read Article 1 of the Constitution, the powers of the legislative branch and Congress, including the power to write law, which Congress is doing very little of these days. Uh, Noted. <laughs> you know, yeah, I mean, you know, in fact, if, even if you look in the Declaration of Independence and the many things that King George was accused of doing, uh, you look at modern United States presidencies, and I think you could probably draw another Declaration of Independence uh, up with some of the same language. Um, so you, you and, said you said you, know, hang, you, you said presidencies. So so this uh, this extension, this kind of a liberal interpretation, if I might, of presidential power is not just a problem of the Trump administration. It's not, but Trump has raised this. To, to new heights, you know, with, with Hatch Act violations, um, with uh, the election law violations, uh, with the three Supreme Court uh, decisions, one of which was already made, uh, the fact that Nixon was impeached for ignoring a one or two congressional subpoenas and Trump has ignored dozens, um, his, his level of criminality is far beyond probably every president that has ever served in the United States. It's quite normal in presidential republics. The United States has 
for years been one of the only presidential republics in the world. There's about 90 of them that hasn't yet drifted into some sort of executive or presidential dictatorship, or at least sort of electing a semi-dictator over... Run that statistic bias again. Um, yeah, uh, nearly every presidential republic in the world, the majority are in Africa and South America. Um, 11 of the 15 countries that were formed after the fall of the Soviet Union. Um, Costa Rica is probably the most successful presidential republic in the world. But the United States has been a bit of an aberration because it's had a, a two-party system where two parties essentially followed basic norms and rules for doing things, and, and neither of the two parties decided to become what political scientists call a, a party of power, which I would argue the GOP is, is becoming today. Um, and really, when one political party, when you have a two-party system in plurality voting in a, in a presidential republic, decides to become a party of power, uh, if they're able to, which the GOP appears to, to be able to today, um, you, you're more likely to have a situation where you really only have one or two branches of government, definitely the executive branch. And what happens is what McConnell did under Trump, which is he basically said, we're not going to write any law in Congress unless the president tells us to or if he agrees with it, which is interestingly enough how Putin runs Russia <laughs> with United Russia. Right, yeah. But Putin doesn't have to uh, behave as if there's, there's, there's sort of a facade of, so of democracy, I, I, like we do here. So I guess, I guess the, the, the inquiring uh, uh, person passionate about democracy wants to know, how does Trump get away with, for example, um, ignoring, what, dozens of subpoenas? How, how does he get away with yeah. that? Yeah. One of the reasons he has is because the Supreme Court um, is not only busy, but it's set on these, the three major cases that are you know, two still pending before it. It's it sat on these cases for months and months and months. Uh, the other thing is the dysfunctionality of the fact that Congress, you get a new Congress every two years, and therefore a lot of these issues, the clock just runs out. And it, it's almost like the Trump administration, I mean, they certainly played the strategy of the clock running out, um, and, you know, appealing everything and appealing everything. But at the same time, really, our, our, our system and our form of government is, is so dysfunctional. I mean, we have an 18th century government for a 21st century world. I mean, think about members of the House of Representatives. They only serve two years, and they're running for election again. So the actual yeah. time when governing is actually happening is, is so limited. You find the same thing going on right now with the Democratic Party, talking about, well, who's the, the head of the Justice Department? Will he investigate uh, Trump's many, you know, probable crimes when he was president? Uh, you know, and really, you know, one argument is that he, he just simply won't have time, and, and, and neither will Congress because of all the other things that they want to get done. There's, there's actually so, some discussion that, well, if, they, if the Democrats win both the seats, in the Senate, then for certain they won't be investigating the presidential power very much because, you know, they'll have to get all these other things done because they'll actually be able to. You know? yeah, in theory, <laughs> right, in theory. Yeah, so um, yeah. What, what, here's, here's a, I mean, maybe Trump is an aberration, and maybe starting with Joe Biden, 
Um, we'll, we'll go back to having presidents that only minimally uh, abuse the, the power of the presidency. Uh, like like yeah. you said, it's happened, it's happened before, uh, but not to this extent. But on the other hand, is it, is it possible that Trump has now raised uh, the, the possibility of what a corrupt president might be able to do and might be willing to do uh, to the point I where— I think absolutely. I mean, when, when Trump used his own militia— for a photo op at the church on, you know, June 10th, 2020. I mean, you know, when I was a child, we had sort of an alarm for dictators, or we were brought up that we would be, immediately we would see something in the news and we would recoil and, and understand we didn't want our country to be like that. Our country doesn't have that anymore, which is quite scary. <laughs> in fact, there are even polls of Republican voters where almost half of them said the president should be able to abolish the other two branches of government, <laughs> which is interesting. Ouch. Um, well, Congress, and, Congress has somewhat abolished itself. <laughs> well, <laughs> Not you know, you make an but... excellent point right there. Um, there, there you, Ed, um, you know, there's an excellent description about Congress today that Congress, of course, when you teach constitutional law, you say Congress writes law. But Congress is more an editor of law these days rather than the author of law. They're really writing these blueprints and allowing the executive branch and the agencies to write their own rules. There, there's an excellent book I'd recommend uh, people write or read. It's about uh, the the state of law across the United States. It's called The Nonsense Factory by uh, Gibney. He's actually a securities and exchange um, lawyer. For, I mean, he's a really interesting person. It's an excellent book. It's called The Nonsense Factory. And there's real good chapters on the executive branch and in Congress. Uh, Congress has also, uh, you know, really abdicated to some extent its its authority even to the uh, judiciary. So uh, it would really be interesting if if the founders, some of them, could could come back and see what has happened to Article One and Article Two and and Article Three. I I don't think they could envision a president, you know, sort of using his own militia. On the, on the streets of the United States to, to, to face off yeah. against uh, people protesting. Um, the, the other thing I'll say real quickly, Ed, this isn't something that, that got a lot of play in the news, but uh, Cohen, William Cohen, Trump's private attorney, when he was released from federal prison and he had written this um, tell-all book about the president, he was sent back to federal prison. And he challenged this, and he was actually sent to the hole, if I recall. Oh, and he, in, in there's a federal district judge who released him, and he said, in my 21 years, I have never seen anything like this. And he described it as retaliatory, hmm. that wow. the, 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 you know, the, the Trump administration had, had sent Cohen back to prison. That's chilling. Yeah. I mean, I just I found that particularly chilling, just because it was so personal and it's easy to explain. It's it's a lot easier to explain than than things like um, you know tax fraud and all the other things that are that are being investigated that that will appear in the um, yeah. the Manhattan District Court and also the the state of of New York and, and their investigations into the Trump Organization and all that. But yeah, this was a case where, uh, you know, it, it appeared to be retaliatory that an individual was sent back um, to prison because of a book that he had written. That's, you know, once again, no. when I was a child, that's the kind of thing that would be front page and that would, you know, 
and it would really make a change. Yeah. But, but there doesn't yeah. really uh, appear to be uh, anything that really seems to um, move the scales um, in terms of how his his party continues to to support him. And I think that the opposition party, the Democratic Party, has. It's just so impotent. Well, and I, I could spend a lot of time talking about the Democratic Party's impotence, um, but what do I, what, we're going to take a, take a short break here, Jeffrey. When we come back, I want to talk with you about the Republican Party, which, um, you know, is uh, is very powerful in this country and very unique in the world. Uh, folks, Jeffrey is going to stick with us. We'll be back in a minute on the Fallon Forum. Gateway Marketing Cafe is your locally owned grocery and specialty food store. Enjoy chef-crafted prepared foods, artisan baked goods, organic produce, hand-cut meats, local and international cheeses, wines, and craft beer. Catering and floral services are also available. The cafe is open for carryout and delivery daily. Gateway Market is centrally located at ML King Parkway and Woodland Ave. Stop by or visit gatewaymarket.com for more details. Gateway Market, good food, great community. At Story County Veterinary Clinic, Dr. Kim Holding has over 30 years of experience working with all creatures great and small. Cat, dog, horse, cow, elephant, well, if you've got an elephant, you may be in trouble. Kim's clients stick with her year after year because they know she'll do right by them and their pets and farm animals. So give Dr. Kim Holding a shout to keep your animals happy and healthy. Call 515-232-8766. Welcome back to the Ed Fallon with the folks bringing you progressive voices from America's heartland. Hey, thanks again to Gateway Marketing Cafe. That's uh, my grocery store, and they are open seven days a week. The cafe is also open seven days a week for lunch and supper, and on the weekends for breakfast. You've got limited dining and patio seating because of COVID, but you can also order using Gateway's takeout service. Hey, and think about this. What about giving Gateway gift cards for the holidays? Because every $50 gift card you buy, you get an additional $10 credit for yourself. Check that out, folks. Gatewaymarket.com. Thanks also to Noche Jazz and Cabaret. They're just south of the Sculpture Park in downtown Des Moines. Downtown Des Moines. There we go. And Noche features both national acts and local performers, including Max Wellman, Gina Gedler, Tina Haas Finley, and Nick Leo. Noche has a cocktail bar. They serve a variety of small plates. And you can catch many of the performances on Noche's live stream. Yep. So, hey, check them out, folks. Uh, Noche, Jazz, and Cabaret. All right. So um, we're going to welcome Jeffrey Wise back to the program here as we uh, take a look at the Republican Party. Jeffrey, you said something to me uh, that, I, that was interesting. You said the Republican Party is unique in the world. And um, that made me feel very yeah. that, made, that made me feel very special. Uh, <laughs> yeah, to, to, yeah be in, to be I, in a country with a party that unique. What do you mean by that? Yeah, if if you if you study the the Republican Party, um, you know, one thing that you you look at is that that Trump isn't really even an aberration. He's really a culmination. Um, I'm using good words that were from an Emory professor. I I heard really he's not an aberration. He's a culmination of of the GOP. If you look at the Republican Party on a global scale, and you start to compare it with political parties in the industrialized world or the European Union, but even if you look at, compare it to political parties around the world, four things I would point out. 
Um, this is a political party that denies the science of global warming, that on many key issues of the day is pre-enlightenment. And you can look at the dates for the Enlightenment if you, people want to go back to the historical books. Well, you're not you're not uh, going you, you, to tell openly, us. You're going to make us look. <laughs> you're going to make us look it up, Jeffrey. <laughs> it's, it's a party that openly suppresses voting. Um, it's a party, the only party in the, uh, not only amongst developed countries, but even a, a, a lot of. Um, well, let me not. I mean, uh, that ref- that is not in favor of national health insurance. Um, it is also a party that is unique in that it, in order to be part of the party uh, to be elected official, you sort of have to sign a not a literal blood oath, but something pretty close uh, to not raise taxes. I mean, th- these are four things that are are such that are so peculiar when when you look at. Um, it's really interesting to me how NPR and PBS and, and so much of the language refers to the Republican Party as conservative, because really there isn't anything conservative. Actually, there's probably, Ed, you and I are more conservative than the Republican Party today, and I, I'm serious when I say that. Thank you. Um, this is an extreme, extreme right-wing party, and it's... It's you know I I don't know where I don't really know where it's going to go. It's it's also somewhat tough to classify today because there you have a situation where you had a president who has lied more than twenty two thousand times, according to the Washington Post, since he first came in office. Um, Eric Alterman wrote a good book on the history of presidential lying, um, and he has a long chapter at the end for, for okay. the current presidency. Okay, so but let, me, but, let, me, let me get back to something here. So you're saying yeah. there's, there's no other... Okay, so Europe, still um, still moving forward from the Enlightenment, uh, has, yeah. has has parliamentary system of government, and so you've got a lot more parties. So you probably got... Um, you, you probably got some parties in Europe, the National Front, for example, uh, or, or the, the variations on those in France and Germany and other countries, uh, the Netherlands... You probably got con- uh, parties in those countries that are more extreme than the uh, than the American than the U.S. Republican Party. No, no. It, when you actually look at the National Front, when you look at those parties, nearly every one of them will have planks for Social Security, increasing Social Security, um, for advancing teacher pay, um, for providing health care to more people. All of them really do have populist aspects about them. Uh, whereas the you know one of the things that 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 Trump does and gets away with it and has done is is he speaks as if he is a populist, but of course in terms of policy he's he's anything but. <laughs> but that's enough for our media because they generally it's what people say rather than what people do. But if you look at the Macron's not Macron but Le Pen's party um, in France, yeah. uh, if you look at you know. I'm trying to think of the name of the one in in, in 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 Sweden. You actually find that they do have some populist planks. I mean, the Republican Party is committed to the one percent. I mean, it, it it has a problem because in terms of law, it, it doesn't do much other than just you know provide money for the one percent, and so it has to have all these other planks. You know, these these social but, planks. But, but cetera, I, I, and they're uh, very but, but how do you explain the fact that some of the one percent, a big chunk of the one percent, are Democrats? Well, because 
because the the Democratic Party has a um, corporate wing, which is also a very friendly uh, to Wall Street. And I mean, this is the subject of another show. But I, you know, I've been as I've been thinking about some of these issues, you know, and you know, I, I, I study media a lot. It's it's very difficult for sort of the progressive wing of the Democratic Party to have any voice in corporate media because the Bernie Sanders of the world, of course, their main message is that uh, corporations have too much power um, and that you know Amazon should pay at least a dollar in federal taxes <laughs> rather than That'd zero. That'd be a start. That'd be a start. And, yeah, and I mean, and these are not. You know, you're not going to get a national talk show talking like that anywhere in, in commercial radio or, or even on NPR. You're not going to get on MSNBC talking like that. You're not going to get on CNN talking like that. Even corporate media that is supposedly anti-Trump is economically conservative and socially liberal. And so, you know, part of the effectiveness of the Republican Party is they dominate all of radio, with the exception of NPR, and the and I mean, when form. I say all, I mean really anywhere <laughs> where you're traveling in the country. Well, I know, I know, right? I know, yeah, I know. It's extraordinary. I yeah. mean, it's you know, I, I've had students who have said, you know, gosh, I, I grew up in, you know, in Romania, and we had the same thing on the radio all the time under communism, and, you know, that's what I see in the United States. What's going on? You know, this happened years yeah. ago, and I was like, well, yeah, it's, you know, Limbaugh on one and, you know, another right-winger, somebody to the right of Attila Han on the other one. Um and and so it's very difficult. I I, I had an I read an interview with Alexandria Ocasio Cortez in the New York Times where she said that she she may just be done with this, you know. Um, and I really don't blame her because they, well, she might be for done that with wing what? of the party. They just don't have they don't have any media that amplifies their voice at all. The Democratic and Party. No, not not the progressive Democrats. Oh, the pro- Right. No, not the progressive part, which is really half of the party. They're they're really they're really effectively censored. But um, it's, a, know, it's the half of the party. It's the half of the party that always gets shut down. It's the half of the party that doesn't win key elections. Uh, I mean, yeah, it, it 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 elects some members to Congress and to state houses, but overall, the agenda at the state level, um, national Absolutely. level, it, it's, it's, it's such a hard hurdle for them when they don't really don't have a voice on mainstream media. I mean. If MSNBC has those people on, it's to respond to the latest Trump tweet, or it's to ask them, you know, why are you guys bringing down the party, you know, <laughs> um, things like that. And so it's, you know, whereas if you look at the Republican Party, my gosh, I mean, what, three or four major cable uh, TV stand, uh, you know, channels, they have, uh, you know, such a huge infrastructure to reach out, which isn't surprising because their, their message isn't threatening to, to corporate America. Um, yeah. Well, anyway, no, nor, the, um, is, nor is the corporate wing of the Democratic Party so, message so, <laughs> so, so, corporate so, America either. So, but back, back to the question of the uniqueness of the uh, U.S. Republican Party. Uh, okay, certainly not our, our you know European countries, but um, again, I was surprised. Good point about Marine Le Pen, the the national the uh, National Rally Party, the National Front, whatnot. But, right. um, but what about some of these? Um, Quasi dictatorships in in some of the African countries where you've essentially got one party, uh, and yeah. again unlimited presidential power. Are, are the leading yeah. leading political apparatuses in those those countries the equivalent of the U.S. Republican Party? I mean, you you have a lot of inaction on global warming um, and issues like that in, in, in some of those countries. I'm not sure about a, a straight-up 
um, denial. Um, suppression of the vote is is more difficult now, even in some what are called lesser developed countries. Um, I think the openness of of in, in the sort of we're proud of it aspect of of the GOP state by state in the United States to suppress voting is hmm. is unique. And once again, the the democratic response is yeah. so impotent, anemic, anemic, um, yeah. Yeah, oh, boy. Hey, Jeffrey, I've, I've got to leave it at that. I, I, want, I want to have you back on soon to do a, a more in-depth analysis of the Democratic Party, but i got to run to a break. Um, really appreciate you joining us. Uh, folks, we've been talking with uh, Jeffrey Weiss. Uh, he is uh, he's a former um, Peace Education Director with the American Friends Service Committee, and he's currently a teacher in the social sciences. And again, one of the people I respect when it comes to an analysis of, analysis of international affairs. Uh, so, Jeffrey, thanks for joining us. Okay, thanks, Ed. All right, folks, so we'll be back in a minute. Uh, Kathy Burns is going to join us. We're going to talk about what it's like to eat local in the Yukon. Back in a minute on the Fallon Forum. Architecture by Synthesis provides planning, design, and design-build services for high-performance, no-maintenance, affordable homes and buildings. They've been doing this work for over 30 years on a wide variety of project types, specializing in super-insulated structures made from, wait for it, grain bins, Yep, with the right experience, tools, and creativity, so much is possible. View images of projects and learn more at architecturebysynthesis.com. That's architecturebysynthesis. Across the Des Moines metro, Ritual Cafe is known for its excellent fair trade coffee and fair trade tea. Ritual Cafe also serves breakfast and lunch and offers an entirely vegetarian menu. This unique venue is also known for its live music, and displays of local artwork on the walls. Located on 13th Street between Locust and Grand in downtown Des Moines, Ritual Cafe is open six days a week. Make Ritual Cafe a daily part of your ritual. Welcome back to the Fallon Forum, broadcasting from Des Moines, Iowa. We are the voice of America's heartland here on the Fallon Forum. Again, a quick shout out to our local business partners, including Gateway Marketing Cafe. Uh, Gateway is our grocery store, and the cafe is open, uh, like the grocery store, every day, seven days a week, Monday through Sunday. Uh, for breakfast, though, only on the weekends for now. You can also, in addition to limited dining seating, you can also... Uh, use the takeout service. And again, this is that time of the year when people oh, might be thinking about, oh, what about a holiday gift? We have an idea. What about using a gateway gift card? Uh, 50 bucks gets you a gift card for somebody you love, and then you get 10 bucks to spend however you want. It's a very, very good deal. Anyway, that's Gateway Marketing Cafe. Thanks again for being our anchor sponsor. And now, let's welcome Kathy Burns to the program. Hello, Kathy. How are you doing? I'm okay. Good to see you. You, you as well. <laughs> we, we see a lot of each we other. We do see a lot of each other. And we see very little of anyone else I know, except yeah, yeah. via Zoom. You know, there, there, there's those, those couples that are, that are uh, sheltering together who now absolutely hate each other. I don't hate you at all. I don't hate the supper you just made. Oh. <laughs> it was delicious. Keep Good. around just Good. for that I'll, reason. I'll just keep going with that and we'll be fine. Anyway, well, so... Um, speaking of supper... I, yeah, I, think, I think we're talking about... Um, Eating local in the Yukon, what, uh, is that in, inside the Arctic Circle? It's got to be close. It's 300 kilometers. Is that 200 miles? About from, that, from yeah. The, yeah. From the Arctic Circle. Wow. So 
Um, no, we had it rough here. <laughs> I, I saw a trailer for a documentary, and we, we want to watch, well, I want to watch the full documentary at some point. Me too. Um, filmmaker Suzanne Crocker did a documentary on her life with her three teenagers and husband. Uh-oh. They are still her teenagers and husband after this experience. Um, it's called First We Eat. <laughs> First We Eat. And they ate only from the Yukon for an entire year? Oh, only from where they live, Where locally. they live in, in Dawson City, Yukon, for a year to wow. see how it would go. I mean, that's like, isn't it like winter, 10 months of the year up there? I don't... <laughs> I don't even want to find out. I, you know, I, I get cold easily, so I, I really admire what they did. Do they eat a lot of polar bear? No, no. Uh, they, well, you know, for a year, their family survived on only what they could forage, hunt, grow, gather, that kind of thing, or, or get, you know. With, in other words, they took everything from a grocery store out of their home. Okay. And they only and they never ate, went to the grocery store. They yeah. only ate for an entire year. Um, you asked about. And they're still married. Um, I last I saw the report, I haven't yeah. seen the whole documentary, but from the trailer, <laughs> it kind of indicates it turned out so okay. So I'm looking there. I'm seeing like two pages of things yeah. they ate. Yeah, oh, that's pretty amazing. She that's a lot a of list. diversity. Yeah, she's wow. got a list of um, you know meats were moose, chicken. <laughs> Boar, pig, caribou, mutton or wild sheep, turkey, grouse, and rabbit. So and they, this is a two-page list. They had, a, they, had a, they had to hunt the moose and caribou and maybe some of those other things, too. Yeah, I wow. suppose. They didn't just walk into their pantry. Wow, we that's... need to watch the documentary. Yeah. But, um, you know, and then they had some fish. They had some chum salmon and salmon eggs, some grayling and bur- burbot. I don't even know what that fish is. Hmm. Um, they had some dairy. Um, good thing they had ice cream, but I think that was from the sheep's milk. <laughs> Grains, um, fruits, vegetables, they categorize it by vegetables that you can eat um, fresh and then vegetables that you just have um, cold, just regular storage, you know, um, without needing refrigeration. So no wine, no beer, no coffee, no tea? That was the thing. No, um, <laughs> no caffeine. Uh, and, uh, no, and yet they're still together. Okay. They had sweeteners. They had yeah. sweeteners. Um, yeah. For sweeteners, they had uh, birch syrup, honey, sugar beet syrup, and or the sugar sugar beet sugar. So they okay. did eventually have sugar. So this is all very fascinating and, and awesome in some ways, but what's the point? The point is, you know, we talk a lot at Birds and Bees Urban Farm about about sustainability and um, relocalizing your food sources and shopping local, supporting your local merchants but this is hyper local what they were doing they they cut it's out the shopping altogether local. it's path <laughs> but the point is if you know they weren't saying everybody should do this because frankly if everybody did that suddenly if everybody in the Yukon everybody in Des Moines just started eating everything that they could grow forage or hunt all the grocery stores would close, and a lot of people would be out of jobs. And all and the, the squirrels would be gone. And the economy would collapse. Yeah, the squirrels but, would be gone. The rabbits would be gone. But I the, mean, yeah, it's, yeah, it, it just—it's not feasible for everybody to start doing it right now. So, what were they trying to demonstrate? They were demonstrating what's possible, and okay. it's important because we know, especially since the pandemic, and in a lot of other ways through the years, because of climate chaos, we know that food systems are easily disrupted and mm. our economic system is fragile as well. And yeah. so if we don't all suddenly start to 
totally go local and just not patronize any stores, grocery stores or other. Like for instance, I I've been cutting my own hair since the pandemic, and I have nobody not, noticed. Right? Have, <laughs> looks good, eh? You eh? notice sometimes. Well, well I mean, nobody noticed that, that it wasn't done by a professional. What do you think? I, I think it's know, great. It's all right, but um, <laughs> I'm not patronizing salons, which makes me feel a little bit bad yeah. because people make their living doing that. They used to. Now they're now they're now they're the food pantry. Some people now some people are still doing it, but the point the point is we're not going to suddenly convert to a, a, an economy where we all just do everything for ourselves. However, yeah, there's no community there. We need there. to do. Yeah. We need to learn some of it along the way because mm. the economy has already been disrupted. Our food supply has already been disrupted. And uh, people well, haven't been able to get certain foods. It's a, it's a much lower carbon and environmental footprint, and it's mm -hmm. really dang good for you. I mean, our supper tonight, of uh, we, we, we cooked on the wood grill, kale with onions, peppers, garlic, and herbs from our garden. When you say we, you mean you. Well, you but, you, but you, we, because you made the, uh, you, you, well, I know I guess I made the bread <laughs> ahead of time, but you, but you made them into little cute little things that I grilled on the grill. The flatbreads. The flatbreads, yeah, they were great. Yeah, but you know, it wouldn't have been as good of a meal without... The wine and the cheese that we got from our grocery store. It was, that really, that really did make it good. Oh, and did and I say? Gate, did I say I, one I, of our sponsors. Did I say I, ice cream from uh, from one of our um, picket fence dairies nearby? Yeah, picket right. fence dairy. Right. But uh, yeah, so um, it's. I think it's. I think it's. Um, I think it's impressive that they could do that. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think it's. I think it's a great challenge for people to try to do that. Mm -hmm. But you know, obviously, it's not like the solution to any of the world's problems, whether it's COVID or climate or a failed, you know, economic system, whatever you want to blame for our problems, it's the, it's not the solution. Mm -hmm. But it does indicate, I think, how much you can accomplish uh, when you try to relocalize your 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 lifestyle. You know. Well, I look forward to watching the documentary again. It's first we eat, and that's from a quote by M. F. K. Fisher. She's a food writer, an American food writer, and um, she wrote. 27 books and she founded the Napa Valley Wine Diction or Encyclopedia or something yeah. but library yeah. excuse me anyway yeah. I look forward to watching First We Eat by Suzanne Crocker thank you for joining us today Kathy and uh, thank you to Steve Kitchen and Jeffrey Weiss our other guests today uh, thanks to the Fallon Forum Productions squad of Sherry Herdina and Kathy Burns and also again reminder please subscribe to the Fallon Forum on Stitcher or Apple Podcasts, and you can also follow the Fallon Forum uh, Facebook page. That'd be great. And you can sign up for the weekly blog that I put out. Again, next year we're going to be talking with uh, Iowa Trump voters. Every week we'll be talking about one of our conversations with uh, someone who voted for Donald Trump. Uh, that'll be interesting. So please sign up for that. Uh, and again, thanks for tuning in to today's program. We'll see you next week.